0: Turn again this morning to John chapter 10, John chapter 10, we'll consider verses 22 to 30 today in our continuing study of this fourth gospel, John chapter 10. Well, are you tired of the campaigning yet? Here we are three months or so before the elections conventions haven't even taken place yet I don't know about you but I'm already tired of hearing about it after a year and a half or two however long it's been and for all the seriousness of the offices to be filled in the, in the fall the campaigning is sometimes a farce no one really seems to say what he means no one seems to stand for much anyway no one's really expected to do what they promise. We all know better. That office of Messiah was commonly perceived to be as, as political and nationalistic as the presidency of the United States. When the Jews spoke of the Messiah, they were not talking about some spiritual leader, some priest. Primarily, they were talking about a political king Uh, But in our text here, we see how different Jesus is from any such leader we have ever known. Let me read the verses. Verse 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah, the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. are one two truths I'd like for you to hear this morning from this text and the first is this that Jesus is not campaigning Jesus is not campaigning he is the Messiah you remember a year or so ago before the uh, primaries in New Hampshire uh, it seems like every time any politician of any prominence appeared in the state of New Hampshire the, the press surrounded him and they wanted an answer are you running running Are you going to be a candidate? Are you up here with a hidden agenda? That's kind of the scene of these opening verses. Verse 22, feast of dedication at Jerusalem. Jesus is in the temple area walking and the Jews gather saying, how long will you keep in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Are you going to run? Are you a candidate? Well, now, we Americans read this, and perhaps we don't get the full impact of it because we don't know much about Jewish history. What We don't know much about the background. So let me just fill you in a little bit on what I think makes this a really volatile and, and, and intense scene here. Verse 22 says that this took place during the Feast of Dedication. That's the same thing as the Festival Lights, or we know it by its Hebrew name, Hanukkah. This celebration revived some of the most nationalistic sentiments in Israel. This was a time of intense fervor in Jerusalem. Let me explain why. In 175 B.C., in the wake of the rule of the Greek Alexander the Great, a leader named Antiochus Epiphanes had come to power in Syria and had extended his power down over Israel. Now, Antiochus was committed to unifying his rule and unifying his kingdom by forcing everyone to become greek to to adopt greek customs and 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 including greek religious customs pursuit in pursuit of that he brutalized the jews for example as many as 10000 jews were massacred or carried off as slaves by Antio- antioch epiphanes The remaining Jews were made to eat food that they considered unclean, made to participate in games they considered indecent, especially because they were part of honoring pagan deities that they despised. As a side note, watch the Olympics opening exercise and you see vestiges of such pagan things in the games. Antiochus Epiphanes made it a capital crime to even possess any part of the Hebrew Scriptures. He made it a capital offense to circumcise your son. A mother who circumcised her baby was strangled with her baby strangled around her own neck. And finally Antiochus stripped the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem of all of its wealth and treasures and desecrated it by building an altar to Zeus in the holy place, and sacrificing swine unclean meat in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem in the midst of those terrible days that are recorded in the apocryphal books of, of the Maccabees in the midst of those terrible days God raised up a priest named Mattathias along with some of his sons most notably Judas Maccabean, uh, Maccabeus who led a revolt against this pagan leader Antiochus Epiphanes trusting the Lord against all odds he took his little band of men and and stood against the, the superior military forces of Antiochus and and again and again he drove them back and defeated them and finally in 165 BC there was enough peace that Judas Maccabeus was able to cleanse and restore the temple worship in Jerusalem And when that happened, when the temple was restored and the worship was reinstituted, it was on the 25th day of the month of Kislev, which roughly corresponds to our December. And there was a great celebration that lasted for eight days, and it was then declared that this would be an annual festival of lights, Hanukkah, where they would remember how the temple was rededicated, how God had delivered them from this tyrant Antiochus Epiphanes. That's where Jesus is. In verse 22, it's that celebration. It's the feast of dedication. Jesus is in the temple with all of the tremendous nationalistic pride of these days, with all of the expectations for a Messiah who's going to come and finish the job of what Judas Maccabeus had begun and drive the pagan Romans out of the streets and and return to Israel its independence and to return to Israel some of the glories of the kingdom like it had known in the days of David and Solomon. In that context, with all of that baggage, Jesus is in the temple and the Jews surround him, some hostile probably, some just curious, they surround him and they say, Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Dr. Merrill Tenney explains the verb translated gathered around him means encircled. Implies that the Jews wanted to compel Jesus to make a categorical statement concerning his identity. Their demand, how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ, tell us plainly, reveals their impatience. If he is the Messiah, they want him to fulfill his calling by achieving independence for the nation. If he is not the Messiah, they'll look elsewhere. The crowd was demanding a declaration. That would either dispel an illusion or enlist their allegiance. One or the other. What an opportunity. Imagine, here is Jesus in this great celebration. Standing right in the restored temple. With the people surrounding him wanting to know this is the perfect occasion. He can declare his intentions now. And and immediately have a rallying group a mass of people and ride the historical, emotional fervor of this great celebration right into the power of the Messiahship. But Jesus is not campaigning. He's not looking for opportunities to work the crowd, to exploit the media, to reshape his image, to gain points in the polls. He's not a candidate for Messiah. So what's he doing? He is the Messiah who is working his agenda to reveal himself according to his plan to show us the Father as the Father sees fit and to call those of his own to follow him, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Oh, he's not kept his identity a secret here. In verse 25, Jesus says, I already told you, I've made it plain who I was, and he had demonstrated it by many miraculous deeds. Now, actually, Jesus had not come right out publicly and in some public forum said, I am the Messiah. He had not done that, he had said that privately on two different occasions. But for those listening, for those with ears to hear, for those who were paying attention, there could be no question. The one who says I am the bread of life if your soul is hungry come to me. The one who says I am the light of the world who can dispel the darkness. The one who says I am the door the only door by which you can be saved. The one who says I am the good shepherd who's come to save the sheep. The one who says before Abraham was I am the I am. Who could that be? There could be no question. And for anyone watching there could be no question for his identity for It must be the Lord's anointed one who can turn water into wine in a wedding feast at Canaan, who can heal the nobleman's son by speaking a word at a distance, who can heal a crippled man who laid helplessly for 38 years and no one could help him, who can feed 5,000 men and their families with a little boy's lunch, who can walk upon the water and who now can take a man who was born blind and give him sight Who could that be but the Messiah? Well, you see, Jesus doesn't need any votes. He is the Messiah. He is God's anointed. He already made that perfectly clear by his words and his deeds. So he doesn't come to campaign. He comes to call out his own people. To call his particular sheep out of the various flocks of the world. When they hear his voice, they follow. They say, this is the Lord. This is God's anointed one. That's what it says in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. And others who have the same evidence, who hear the same words, who see the same miracles... Who read the same truths, like the Jews of old here, find ever new reasons to demand more evidence only to remain unconverted. But Jesus is not surprised by all of that because they're not his sheep. That's his explanation at verse 26. There he says, My sheep, uh, there he says, You do not believe because you're not my sheep that simple Jesus you see is not selling himself he's not campaigning he's not looking for votes he is being messiah the christ folks we need to gain a new sense of the sovereignty of jesus in our day the church has taken to packaging and marketing Jesus as if he were some consumer product, some hairspray or something. Or as if he's some of our made-for-television political candidates who who presents himself in 30-second sound bites and carefully orchestrated photo opportunities. But that's not the Jesus... That, that John records for us here. That's not the Jesus who stood in Jerusalem that day. He's not watching the polls. He's not analyzing voter dissatisfaction in order to reshape his image. No, Jesus is the Christ. Like it or not, take it or leave it, it changes nothing about him. He is the Lord, before whom every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow in humility, either as a disciple or being judged. And when he is presented accurately, with integrity, not manipulating his word for our desired effect, but when he has set forth in the world in truth, he calls his chosen ones. They hear his voice, they respond. They follow him and become disciples for life. In fact, even this morning, as I declare to you such a sovereign Lord, some of you find that your heart cries out, Yes, Lord. Yes. I want to follow you. I believe in you, Lord. Your heart begins to cling to him in faith. No one twisted your arm. God may have used the smallest little piece of evidence to convince you, but convinced and willing you are, determined, I will be his disciple. Others sit and say, what are you talking about? I'm not convinced of anything. You're going to have to show me more than that to get me to change my agenda. I've got my own plans for my life, thank you. If you think I'm going to become a religious fanatic like you, you have another thing coming. Well to you I say, you've heard, God holds you accountable, by the hardness of your heart you show you don't belong to him, no matter what your heritage might be, no matter how impressive your standing in the community, you're no different than these leaders who knew it all, who heard it all, who saw it all, who had the great heritage, but didn't hear the voice of the Messiah, they didn't recognize him, they did not, they would not follow. They are blind, they are deaf, they are lost sheep. Jesus is not campaigning, he is the Messiah who discloses himself how and when he sees fit, and who by his spirit calls those who he gives ears to hear and eyes to see. To come and follow him. And in his name I call you to follow Jesus. Second truth in this passage In Jesus we are secure forever. In Jesus we are secure forever since we brought up the whole business of election campaigning, did you ever step back and think what it is that politicians try to sell us? What it is that they promise us to get elected? I think that it can almost always be summed up in the one word, security. That's what people want, and so that's what politicians promise. We're going to Make employment uh, high and a strong economy and get people to work. In other words, we're going to make your job secure. Uh, we're going to have a, a strong economy and we're going to lower the taxes and that's going to compound our investments and it's going to keep our paychecks in our own pockets. In other words, we're going to give you financial security. Or, or we're going to look after law and order and we're going to build more prisons and we're going to put the criminals away. In other words... We're going to guarantee you personal security. Of course, we need just the right amount of social programs, some safety for the poor, and please don't touch my social security because that is, after all, my social security. (laughs) But alas, even the best of governments and even the most well-meaning of politicians cannot do any of those. There is no guarantee of security in this fallen world. No one can guarantee that the economy won't collapse, that tragedy won't happen, that you won't be the victim of crime, that you won't lose your job. There is no such guarantee. Oh, but Jesus, though he's not campaigning, though he is not a political candidate, promises a kind of security that no politician would even dare to touch. Jesus secures his people forever. That's what he says. Verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Jesus mentions four or five different ways here in which he guarantees security eternal security to his sheep his people let me just go through them a little bit first of all not the first one he mentions but logically first we're secure in christ because we are given to him by his father that's what he says in verse 29 my father who has given them that is his sheep given them to me is greater than all The issue is here, how did anyone come to belong to Jesus in the first place? What is the absolute first cause of my relationship to Jesus? That will tell me something about how secure it is. If one day I felt a need in my life and somebody said, well, maybe Jesus could help you, and so I said, well, I might as well just try Jesus, maybe that could help. Now, if that's as far as it goes, well, what if I don't feel the need? Or what if it doesn't work out? Or what if my friend told me wrong? Not very secure. Or if I came to Jesus just because my parents were Christians, well, what if my parents became Buddhists? Then am I no longer secure in that relationship? Or what if when I grew up, I found out my parents were wrong about a lot of things and I abandoned their faith? But Jesus says, no those who belong to him do so because before the beginning of time God gave them to him. I don't understand all of that. But I find comfort there. For God does not change. Everything that he has ordained will come to pass. It's not up for grabs. Our security rests in the relationship between the Father and the Son, what the Father has given the Son. In other words, if we are in Jesus, we are secure forever. Second guarantee that we see here, we're guaranteed eternal security because Jesus knows his own, he says in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them; they follow me. And you may say, "Well, Jesus knows everything." Well, that's true. That's exactly the point. Obviously, this doesn't just mean that Jesus knows people in advance, because He knows everyone in advance, and not everyone are His sheep, not everyone is saved. We know that. No, He's talking about knowing His own special relationship, whereby He sets His affection on them, knows them, recognizes them as his own before time when god gave us to him he recognized uh, us he knows us he set his love upon us as his very own you may say well i know god just looked down through history and he saw what i was going to do and that's how he knew well that doesn't really help you out of the dilemma of this being bigger than you can understand because if jesus knew who was going to believe was there any chance it was going to be any different when the time came? Once he knows that it, it's fixed, you see, we can't escape it. The simple, but unfathomable truth is that before the beginning of time, God gave some to His Son. The Son loved them way back then, recognizing, knowing them as His own, and those so foreordained, so foreknown. He now calls to himself and they listen and they follow. That means that if we're in Jesus, if we are known by him, we are secured forever. This truth is a great comfort to me in regard to my father. You know that I saw my father a couple of weeks ago. I had some wonderful days when my father knew his wife and knew his kids. We were able to communicate through the fog a little bit, and we also had some other terrible days where he didn't have a clue who we were, probably didn't know who he was. So what am I to think of the salvation of this man who lived in godliness and taught me the faith for so many years? Is his soul secure when he can remember who Jesus is and cling in faith to him? But when he doesn't know, when he can't remember, when he doesn't even know who he is and what he's doing, then is he lost and adrift again? Oh, I think not. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows who are His. Those known by Jesus, Those in Christ are secure forever. Gives us another reason here. We're secure because eternal life is a gift. He says, I give them eternal life, in verse 28. You know, it would be secure enough to say, well, the life that we're given is eternal. That means it's going on forever. That's secure. That's true. He goes beyond that. He says, Says it not only positively, he says it negative, and you shall they shall never perish. Doubly secure. Oh, but it's even more than that. He says that this eternal life, this never perishing, is a gift. A gift. Now, folks, that's hard for us to take. You think, oh no, that's not hard. i love to take a gift. Well, yes and no. It sounds easy at first. To say that everything about our salvation is a gift. But you see, if it's a gift, that means we get no credit. That means whatever wonderful, godly things we've done all our life, we get no credit. It was nothing. What we have is a gift. In fact, not only is boasting inappropriate... But it would be robbing God because he's the one that deserves the credit if it's all a gift. And if it's a gift, well then the wretched person who we may disdain, yet if God gives him eternal life, he stands as tall as we do. So we think that wretched man deserves judgment. And we do too. Because it's a gift. If it's a gift, if we live only because God loved us in Christ and gave us eternal life, which we didn't deserve, then we would have to admit that everything that we have, everything that we are, everything rightfully belongs to him. If we were nothing apart from his gift, then everything that we have, he redeemed for himself. Oh, but we love to hold on to our lives and our money and our time and our stuff and our status and our pride and our boasting. And, oh, make no mistake, our flesh will constantly try to strip away a little bit of the gift nature of our salvation and insert just a touch of my own merit there. Well, he gave a gift, but because I really deserved it. (laughs) But the minute we do, the minute we do that our salvation begins to rest on us and it's totally insecure but Jesus says no they're secure because I gave them eternal life this eternal life this life with God is 100% completely without any exception absolutely every ounce of it an undeserved gift and that means it is 100% secure in the giver safe in jesus for he has given us eternal life all who in jesus who are in jesus are secure forever well one more thing jesus says about this security that no one can snatch us from his hand You see, the security that we have in Christ is not just something that we deduce by human logic, but God comes right out and says it. Jesus says it twice, in fact. Verse 28, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one oh folks the threat is great enough the threat that we should be snatched out of the hand of God Satan would love to snatch even one soul out of Christ's hand can you imagine the case he would have he could accuse God of being unfaithful to his promises he could accuse God of being inattentive to his children he could accuse Christ of being unable to keep those he has called Satan would love to snatch someone out of god's hand and the world is a constant threat to our souls it's like a mighty swollen river that's trying to sweep us away and we may hold on for a minute or a few minutes or an hour but for a day for a week for a month for years can we hold on against the constant onslaught of peer pressure it's hard to stand against the pressures of the world it's hard when you're a teenager it's hard in midlife. It's hard in retirement years. Your health goes and you face struggles. The world is dragging us away, trying desperately to snatch us from His hand. And our own flesh is a threat. For though we may have walked with the Lord for years, temptation can arise out of nowhere and finds a kindred spirit not out there, in here. All we saw were the enemies of our soul. Satan and the world and the peer pressure and our own sinful inclinations. We would despair. But Jesus says, no, in spite of all of the the, the enemies, in spite of all of the strength, they're not strong enough. He who came into the world to save hopeless sinners, who took on death and hell and defeated them, who rose in power from the dead to set over every authority and every title and every power in heaven and earth who rules at the Father's right hand, He says, I can hold on to my own. Not only that, but He has acted at every point in unity with His Father. He is in perfect harmony with His Father. He is of the same substance as the Father. And so the Father holds us just like the Son does. So who could possibly snatch us away In Romans 8 we read if God is for us who can be against us or more specifically who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword no and all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus, we are secure forever. This great English bishop, J.C. Ryle, wrote a hundred years ago, Christ declares that his people will never perish. Weak as they are, they will all be saved. Not one of them shall be lost and cast away. Not one of them shall miss heaven. If they err, they shall be brought back. If they fall, they shall be raised. The enemies of their soul may be strong and mighty, but their Savior is mightier, and none shall pluck them from the Savior's hand. Or as Lisa Sendelberg put it in song, more secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. In Jesus, we are secure forever. And for whom are these rich treasures? For whom is this awesome, eternally secure life with God? Who will know such blessedness? Who has a right to have such confidence? Those who were born into the faith? These Jews were born into the faith. Those who regularly worship in the public worship? They stood in the temple. As Jesus said, you're not my sheep. Those who know a lot about theology, a lot about the faith? Some of these were teachers of So who has such confidence that we are secure forever in Jesus? Jesus said, those who listen to my voice and follow me. Not the great, not the mighty, not the learned, not those with generations of great heritage. Those who listen to my voice and follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Are you listening? Do you follow? Do you believe enough that you will abandon anything? Because this I must do. Listen to the shepherd. And follow. Because he's all I have. But he's everything. I have no claim on anything. I am not very secure. I am poor and I am weak and I am sinful. But he secures me. I listen. I follow. Trusting him. Believing him. Follow. In Jesus. Only in Jesus. We are secure forever. Before November, we'll get our fill of campaigning with all its posturing and promises, but that's all right. That's the way we choose leaders. But this morning, I point you beyond all that relative pettiness. Pettiness sovereign Messiah Jesus he's not campaigning for votes he is already God's anointed one doing the father's will calling his own but while he does not campaign he offers more than any candidate will ever offer more than any government could ever secure in Jesus we are eternally secure safe in the everlasting arms of God himself safe in Jesus forever Amen Let's pray Thank you Lord that you've not chosen the mighty and the rich and the famous Lord that you have been merciful and chosen those who deserve nothing Those who are weak, those who freely admit we couldn't possibly hold on long enough, Lord, to gain your salvation. And yet, you've called us as your little lambs. Lord, we hear your call and we want to be faithful followers, faithful disciples for a lifetime. Lord, we would fear that we couldn't pull it off. We know our weaknesses. We know how easily we stumble. We know, Lord, how many times we fail to do what we intended. Thank you, Lord, for the great confidence that those whom you've chosen, those whom you've come to save, those who your spirit calls, those you are able to keep through thick and thin, through tragedy, through heartbreak, through failures and loss, you are able to keep to the end that no one can snatch us out of your hand. Oh Lord, we have nobody but you. This morning we proclaim we need nobody. You are our portion, Lord. We wait upon you. We want to listen to you. We want to follow you. We want to be found faithful disciples with no confidence in ourselves, but with absolute confidence in you to keep us like you promised. Give us faith, Lord, to trust you. To hear your voice. To follow, even if no one else does. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.